Section 25 of The Complete Works of Brand the Iconoclast, Volume 12. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Keenan. The Complete Works of Brand the Iconoclast, Volume 12. Section 25. Salmagundi. There's a class of men who take a special delight in pistol practice, when the other fellow furnishes the target. They shut their eyes and literally feel what is going on, see pistols flashing, as the man with the well-developed Texas jag sees keyholes in the door at three o'clock g.m., just legions of them. As a matter of fact, when pistols are really cracking, powder actually burning, and bullets sweetly singing near my God to thee, these are the first to seek the sheltering arms of a two-foot wall. Most any old wall, so it won't leak lead. I wish to call attention to the readers of the iconoclast, to the pack of journalistic jackals who are raising their infamous howl over the body of Bran. As usual, when the lion is dead, the hyena comes forth for a feast. Life is too short, and the game too mean, to justify individual firing, so I will take a pot-shot at the pock. These animals are so much alike in tastes, character, and habits that one will typify all. I therefore call attention to Maja Burbanks of the New Orleans Picayune. The state constitutional convention has eliminated the Negro from Louisiana politics. Had that body also placed journalism under the color ban, they would have disposed of the Maja most effectively, and, I might add, to the entire satisfaction of all concerned unless, indeed, the coons had objected to their company. So help me God, I would rather be a yellow dog, with an abbreviated narrative, and belong to a disreputable negro than go around with my cowardly heart in my throat, fearing to look a man in the face while alive, than mercilessly assail his character after death. Bah! The mere existence of such creatures revolutionizes Darwin's theory, argues the survival of the unfittest. It is well for the public to understand that the murder of W.C. Brand did not remove all of the abuses from which this country suffers, and the frauds and fakes which prey upon it. Assassination may shatter an instrument, but it cannot conquer a cause. There is still work for the iconoclast to do, and it will be done. It will continue to place its brand upon the forehead of the seducer, the whining hypocrite, the sniveling rogue, the confidence man, the fakir, and the fool. It is proposed to show this country that the pistol is unconvincing as an argument and useless as a break upon reform. Bran is dead, but there are men alive who lack his phenomenal ability, perhaps, but who share his deathless hatred of the rotten in morals and in politics. The mission for the iconoclast is unchanged and unended. Its field is its own. It will be filled. The man who seeks the American spirit must look for it in the South and West. He will not find it in the East. That part of our common country is inhabited by a nation of shopkeepers, as distinct from the peoples of the other sections as the lion is distinct from the jackal. They are smooth-faced, snub-nosed rogues, tied to the counter and till, dollar-marked neederlings of the department stores, jackrabbits of Wall Street, coyotes of the boards of trade. If every man who has traded upon the distress of his country and the peril of his kinsfolk were to be shot this morning, 
the air of the North Atlantic states would be heavy with powder smoke. From that well-kept and wearisome prostitute and buffoon, Chauncey Depew, down to the smallest operator of a bucket shop, they are all tarred with the same brush, things in trousers who would sell their souls for coin. They own the president of this country, and they own many of the congressmen, having bought and paid for them. America, I suppose, is as religious as its neighbors, but it is for the dollar first, and for Christ afterward. Easter is a period devoted to commemoration of the saddest and noblest event in human history, the highest and most important event. It is used by thousands of our merchants, however, as a time specially devoted to making money. From the manufacturer of Easter cards to the maker of hot cross buns, the signs and symbols of religion are made the means of chasing the nimble ten-cent piece. The cross is the hallmark of printed sentiment, to be sold for a quarter, and the crucifixion is done over and over again in gingerbread. The iconoclast may not get to heaven by the Baptist route or the Methodist route, or by any one of the thousand routes which Christians have been pleased to blaze out for sinners in the centuries since Christ died but it is a long way above that kind of impiety. Sacrilege is a better word for it. How does the Republican Party, the party of gold, look now, from fat Tom Reed at its head down to Nancy Green, son of Hetty Green, at its tail? Is it the party of patriotism? May it be trusted to uphold the honor of the nation? Is it honest? Is it even decent? Nay, I say that nine out of every ten Republican congressmen who voted for the intervention resolutions did so because they were driven to it by fear of outraged citizens, Democrats and Republicans alike, not because they were patriots. I say that the representatives of the Republican Party are bound hand and foot to the millionaires of America. I say that the leaders of that party are without principle. The polls next November will show what the honest money and honest patriotism people of the nation think of the Republican Party. From the time that Fitzhugh Lee reached Washington, the myrmidons of William McKinley sought to detract from his services to the country, and to belittle his rugged patriotism and love of truth. The popinjay in the White House could not bear to listen to the roar of welcome that greeted him as he stepped from the train. It was like the oleaginous Ohio poltroon to inspire detraction of one who is his official inferior, and his superior in everything that goes to make a man. The Virginian is not intellectually great. He is plain of speech and manner. But he has carried high the unstained banner of the Leeds. He has stood to his post in the face of danger. He has bared the traitorous Spaniard in his stronghold. He has demonstrated once that God never made a more courageous animal than the Southern gentleman. Besides such a man, the purchasable McKinleys and gross scoundrelly Hannahs of the nation are dwarfs. Dr. Dowie, of the Chicago Zion, a place where faith cure fools who have cirrhosis of the liver are allowed to die for a consideration, has written a circular and sent out a million or two of copies. He wants every adult person in the United States to send him fifty cents, so that he can have money to send out more literature with which to catch more fools. The people of Chicago can confer a favor upon themselves and humanity at large 
by taking Dowie five miles out into Lake Michigan, tying three hundred pounds of scrap iron to his heels, and dumping him overboard. Mrs. Henryton, president of the Federation of Women's Clubs, has telegraphed McKinley from Chicago that she, as the representative of that influential band of hens, cordially and heartily endorses everything he has ever done or thought of doing. It is proper to say that Mrs. Henryton no more represents her sisters than I represent the WCTU. She is only another instance of the modern highly developed female, eaten by an itch for writing and getting her name into the newspapers. The mothers, sisters, wives, daughters, and sweethearts of America no more endorse William McKinley than they endorse any other coward. The women of the Federated Clubs are much like other women when they stop playing upon the ink bottle and begin playing upon the cook stove. They have taken off Mrs. Henryton's back hair, and she now eats her meals from the mantelpiece, all of which is proper. Little Jimmy Eccles, Cleveland's undersized underling, got some hand-claps and whoops from the Chicago Credit Men's Association when he addressed the members at the Grand Pacific Hotel on the night of April 12th. He talked about the businessmen's longing for war when the country is insulted, and these snipes and jack bailiffs of the big mercantile houses, warmed into drunken courage by gallons of cheap wine, yelped in unison. This auriferous insect, who was for four years comptroller of the currency, is remembered in Washington chiefly for a remarkable burst of speed, displayed one night when his timorous mind conceived the idea that a somnolent hackman was going to rob him. He had his dress suitcase in one hand and his plug hat in the other, and he covered three blocks in ten seconds. The cabbie whom he had hired waked in time to discover the meteoric dash, and was the most puzzled man in the capital. Eccles is a warrior, and his credit giving or refusing listeners are all warriors. J. Guy Smith of Catula was locally called, so I am informed, Bran No. 2. Like most other men, he was far behind W. C. Bran in wealth of intellect, in largeness of heart, in charity, in his hatred of wrong and the oppressor. It appears, however, that he had the habit of speaking his mind, and he was shot for it also that he was shot in the back. Joe Leiter, the wheat speculator of Chicago, is followed about all day by detectives whom he has hired to protect him. I do not know if anyone contemplates giving him his desserts, but since he has used his inherited millions to make bread dearer in thousands of poor mouths, he should be whipped twice a day for a month. Under a properly constituted and administered government, Lighter and his kind would be sent to the penitentiary at hard labor. He is as much a robber as any brigand of the Italian passes, and as much of a thief as any pickpocket in America. A great many people imagine that your Uncle Sam will frazzle hell's bells out of Spain in one word and two motions, that all of this preparation for threatened conflict with Spain is much ado about little that the United States will get up early some morning and administer the paternal slipper to the Spanish pantaloon, simply by way of diversion or to get up an appetite for breakfast. The result of the scrap may show that the job had best be undertaken after a square meal. As the war is not yet on, I rise to remark that it is my sincere wish that those who have lost a scrap may find it, 
that those who have clamored so hard and so long for hostilities to begin may find standing room only in the theater of war, and be given positions in the full glare of the footlight, with a corporal's guard behind them, to see that they do not strike a retrograde motion when the curtain rises on the first act. This completes the last issue of the Iconoclast. The publication of the paper was not continued, though evidently this was intended when the May issue was printed. The following articles were written shortly after the death of Bran, but did not appear in the Iconoclast. End of section 25. Recording by Brian Keenan.